Welcome back to... Hey, great shot. So let's get right into it. It's part three of our review of the month of February on the ATP Tour. Part three is going to be talking about my favorite storyline for the month. That, of course, is the Delray Beach Tournament where we saw Francis Tiafo take home his first ATP Tour title. The first thing I want to discuss before we do a deep dive into the tennis, though, what was that Porsche sitting in the corner of center court? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm a huge car guy. That is blasphemous. It's a sin blasphemous. How the hell do you leave a $150,000 car just in the corner of a tennis court where any of those players who get pulled off the court might end up just absolutely decking it? I'm 100% sure I saw Opelka hit a serve out wide into it. Oh, absolutely. And... An Opelka serve into a Porsche. That, I know. That could cause some well, damage. after the bounce, it's probably not too bad, but it's not good. Yeah, no, I, still, it's just ridiculous. I'm pretty sure they let fans sit in it during matches. That would be sick. Wow. Yeah. That, that's it's uh, high dollar. That's yeah. called courtside. Pays for the damages. <laughs> yeah, courtside. Although it is sad. I don't think Tiafo ended up getting it for winning. So that was my question for you. I'm not sure if he did or didn't. He'll have to call into the pod someday and let us know, but... If you're Francis Tiafo at the end of the tournament and they say you can either have the winner's check, which I'm not sure. I think it was uh, 94000 It's basically 100000 I'll look that up as you explain your answer, but would you take the winner's check or the car? Car, 100%. Even if the car, let's, let's say the value of the prize money was equal to the value of the car, I'm taking the car. Why the car? Well... I mean, I'm obviously biased. I just love cars, I think. But what do you do with it? You're just going to have it leaving there? Gonna leave. How's, where is he taking it to? His next tournament? He's flying it to Acapulco? Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm flying it there, and I'm driving it in Acapulco. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess the thing is... <laughs> I have your answer. He won $94,280. Yeah, Not bad. So, I mean, in this circumstance, definitely take the car. Uh, I mean, if I take the car, I'm selling the car right away. But... <laughs> Uh, just give me the paycheck. There's no income tax in Florida, right? Yeah, fair enough. So just you take just the paycheck yeah. and go get the Porsche yeah, anyway. Exactly. The Porsche is too much <laughs> maintenance. I don't want to lug it anywhere. It's fine with me. But okay, Porsche controversy aside, there was some excellent results in this match. And the first match we have to start with is our first round matchup between Riley Opelka and Ryan Harrison. That's a match Opelka won 7-6, 7-6. My first thought is in his last match, Harrison had just played Karlovich. He has to be frustrated playing these big guys. Absolutely. And, you know, watching this match too made me just, it made me realize how frustrated I get even watching this tennis at times. This was, you know, I think there are matches against these big guys like Opelka, like Isner, like Karlovich, where you do get some very high quality points. But this Anderson, one, we just talked about the New right. York Open. Anderson is the key of that. His tennis is very entertaining. Absolutely. And, and him and Query managed to have some fantastic exactly. points. But this was a match where it was straight up serve. Bot. serve bo- yeah, exactly. Serve, return, miss or serve, return, make forehand. I mean, it. It wasn't the most entertaining match. Breakpoint opportunities, Harrison 1 of 1, Opelka 1 of 4. Total points 1, Opelka 79, Harrison 76. This was a match of small margins. Both guys protected their serve, 1 over 50% of their second serve points. Yeah, I agree. We don't need to dwell on this for too long. Good for Riley for taking those tiebreakers. Another instance where we're seeing a young player doing a better job protecting his serve and if we've said it once, we've said it a hundred times, but Opelka being seven feet tall has to protect that first serve, and he did it. Like you said, not much more to say about this match. Good for Opelka. Love to see him do well, and, and we'll see how he does in the future. Touching on something we hinted in our New York pod, this result does not speak well for the Harrison leap. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this this is I mean, both of us agree that Harrison 
hasn't really taken a leap. If you look at his past couple results, he's lost in the first and second round. He only has one kind of run. Well, he in... made a final in Brisbane, right? At right. the beginning of the year, lost to Grigor. But ever since then, he's basically had first round or second round losses. So I wanted to save this rant for later on, but it sounds like we're doing it now. So let me just read something I posted in our Slack because I think I put it best there. I think Harrison's at a place where his combination of match experience and physical development means he should be playing his best tennis right now. A tennis player's prime are ages 23 to 28 season, so it makes sense that we've seen a jump from him. Considering his drop a few years ago, his rebound back into the top 50-75 is impressive. However, he still hasn't made a second week of a Grand Slam, and he hasn't gained any noticeable new weapon, but really just maximized his physical capability. I think he still has limited upside because of his lack of weapons, and it's not really a leap for him until he's seeded at a Grand Slam event. What do you think about that? Couldn't agree more. I want to point out just some of his results from the tournaments of this year. If you look at Brisbane... The only players that I think are notable wins are Leonardo Mayer, who was ranked 52 at the time. It's a nice three-set win. He also took out Istomin in this tournament, although he did retire from the match. He ended up losing to Kyrgios in the final 4-2. and two. Not Kyrgios, a... not Dimitrov. My bad. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, he ended up losing this match 4-2. and two. Nothing too spectacular there. In the Aussie Open, took out Duty Sella in five sets. He then takes out Pablo Cuevas, which is a pretty solid win, before losing to Chilich in three sets in the round of 32. And then after that, he takes out D. Young, loses to Karlovic in the se- second round of the New York Open, and then Delray loses to Opelka. So, you know, sure, he had a good run at Brisbane. Not any, you know, great wins there. And his wins at the Aussie Open are, you know, so-so. So, again, I, I, I don't think this is, you know, a leap for him in any, by any means. About his Brisbane run, you know, three of his four matches went three sets. And his best win, in my opinion, was his stopping of Alex Dimonur, the young Australian. Yeah, baby-face Dimonur, I called yeah. him. Yeah, his run. So that was a good win for him. People will point to his title in Memphis. But in that, he beat Sam Query, but no one else in the top 50. You know, in 2017, he didn't make it past the second round of a Masters event. And his best win of the season was really a win in Atlanta over prepubescent Kyle Edmund, where he made <laughs> the final of that tournament. I mean, he went through puberty at the Australian Open. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. He was a man there. So, yeah, Ryan Harrison, top 75 player for sure. Deserves entry into every Grand Slam. And to say top 50, I don't think that's a stretch either. But yeah. I don't think you can say leap until he jumps into that seated at a Grand Slam level. Couldn't agree more. Okay, let's move on to our second first-round match. This is one I know gets your California juices going. We have Taylor Fritz taking out the number four seed and American Sam Query, 2-6-6-3-7-6. Give me your thoughts. So first of all, I actually thoroughly enjoyed this match. I know when you first— Look at your smile. I know, I know. So I think when you first were talking about it, you were saying it was kind of low-quality tennis, but I disagree. I, I think, you know, they really did play a similar style, and I think they do in general, but— I loved watching them rip forehands back and forth with each other. You know, they both try to control the court with their forehand, and they did. Looking at the statistics of this match, it was a little funky. You're looking at first serve percentage for Fritz at 69% to Query's 50%. Their first serve points won were basically even at 67 to 77%. But Query was winning 64% of his second serve points compared to Fritz's 50. So clearly a big differentiation between the first serve and second serve here. You know, obviously some some lackadaisical service games with a 2-6 and a 6-3 set. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, it did just come down to Query being pretty clutch in that third set. A lot of serve plus ones in this one. Both of these guys, when they could take advantage, when they were given a ball in the center of the court, they went after it. And, and something I thought was interesting that the broadcasters said, because I was actually able to watch this live on Tennis Channel, they were talking about Taylor Fritz's fundamentals versus his intangibles. And his fundamentals, when he is in a stable stance, when he's hitting from the center of the court, whether it's a forehand cross court, forehand down the line, backhand cross court, it's top 50 level. He hits with pace. He hits Absolutely. with angle. He hits with depth. It's as good as anyone. And his serve still the most natural motion I've seen in a long time. And like you mentioned, he wins 76% of his first serve points. He's serving 69% of his first serves in. You know, 50% is a good line for your second serve points. And you look at the total points won, both of these guys win 93 points. So it's an either or match. And this is a testament to Fritz being able to come through in the big moments. Yeah, and I think I misspoke earlier because I was saying Query, you know, was clutch in that third set tiebreak. But it, I meant to say Fritz was very clutch in this third set tiebreak. Like you were saying, he's proven that he's able to be clutch in these big matches. I want to see him doing more of that in the future, taking advantage of that forehand, being aggressive. And I think this is some very positive tennis. For so him. I didn't mean to ignore your point earlier, but in terms of the quality of this match, not a big match for me. I just thought both of these guys, if they were on the run, they were in trouble. Well, Fritz in particular, like I can't two. watch. No, whoa, what are you saying? We played FIFA with no, Fritz. No, I know, but <laughs> okay, I don't mean their personalities. I'm just saying you don't like these two against each other. You were literally it's, saying you're right. It's, it's just the, the same tennis right. against each other. You're right. Trying to control with the forehand so. and am i wrong i mean not exactly <laughs> like i was even saying they are very similar but it's still fun tennis to watch it's fair i just think you know fritz in particular when he gets stretched and when query hits a big ball you're going to be stretched he wasn't able to respond that well and so they were shorter points i would have liked to see net opportunities because i don't think fritz moved forward that much i think query has been moving forward more and it's something i like to see out of his you know if you go to the net you win my heart and he's been doing it more <laughs> And again, this is a constant critique we have of Fritz. We want more of you at the net. It will put you to the next level. Um, yeah, hopefully he does that. I agree with you. And, you know, for Query, another instance of a letdown. He makes the final in New York, but he loses first round the next week in Delray. So this is a theme we seem to keep seeing. And maybe it's a testament to how early it is in the season. And these guys just aren't in peak conditioning yet. But would have liked to see Query do a little bit better at the same time. How love can you be upset? Yeah, yeah exactly. All right, let's talk about some other notable first-round results. This is a match I have the stats for, but we don't need to do a deep dive in. I just like pointing out Hyun Chung takes out Cam Nori, 3-6-6-3-6-1. I was very adamant that I think Cam Nori has a lot of top 100 skills, and, you know, he had his big win over Bautista Gu in Davis Cup. Here he takes a hot Chung to three sets. He has skills. I don't know why. Okay, I'm not going to say you're down on him because you didn't really say that, but you should be more pro cam nori look after watching him a little more i am more on the side of cam nori but there there's just some times where i see him play and and his shot selection is just kind of out there it's the second serve for me he, yeah. in this match against chung he only wins 38 percent of his second serve points it floats a little bit but i think he picks his spots well i think he moves the ball well around the court i think he did a good job to hang in there with chung but yeah that's all i have on that in terms of other results isner Gets a win, finally takes out Albot. <laughs> Don't worry, five, he, seven, he loses the next round. Yeah, five, seven, six, three, six, four. 
In terms of the next-gen guys, you have Donaldson taking out Polanski in straights, Tiafo over Ebden in three, and Shepovalov over Karlovich five and six. Good results for those next-gen guys. We're going to be talking about them a lot moving forward through this tournament. But the match will use to transition to the second round. Jack Sock takes out J.P. Smith, a Tennessee guy, and someone, Servan Vallier, who we really like to watch. 6-4, 6-4 sets up a second round matchup with the big boy himself Riley Opelka and that's where things got interesting in this tournament absolutely you know this was a match that was more interesting than Opelka's first round but again I just I was frustrated I did not get enough you don't like serve plus one tennis when it's Opelka no no, I don't I I don't really like it when it's Karlovich or Isner either I just I think I okay oh you like Anderson I don't consider Anderson in the same category. Fair enough. Go on. Um, I will say Opelka, when he does get into long rallies, I like better than an Isner or a Karlovich. His game is prettier. He does construct points. I he like his backhand. I do too. He he gets low for a seven-footer. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm impressed. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, just, I am frustrated at times with his tennis just because... Even a guy like Sock, who is used to playing some of these bigger servers and has a big serve himself, just the the lack of a constructed point just frustrates me. So in this match, Opelka takes out top-seeded Jack Sock, 4-6-7-5-6-3. You look at the stats that differentiate. Opelka in this match wins 50% of his second serve points, going 20 of 40. Sock goes 11 of 31, winning 35%. We talked about this in our challenger pods, but Opelka is really doing a good job of stepping up on the second serve. That is exactly what I was going to say, was if you watched this match, Opelka was on top of those seconds. On top of every short ball. And I think he has to play that way. I'm not really sure what other game style would actually even fit his frame and his figure. Well, I will say about Jack Sock, if you get him stretched, he'll float some backhand slices. And to Opelka's credit, sure, he missed some, but he was coming over at every chance he got. And the fact that there wasn't a tiebreak in this match shows that he wore Sock down. You know, He moved him side to side enough or got him stretched enough to where he was able to secure that one break and you know, get a huge victory in his 2018 season. Yeah, pretty rare that you don't see a 7-6 set in an Opelka match. That's what I'm saying, especially to knock out a guy like Sock, who's known for his serve plus one. Mm-hmm. I think Sock just got a little too cheeky in this match. He, you know, th- thought he could just hold on to his serve and he'd get his opportunities. But no, Opelka was lights out. Absolutely. And, you know, not much more to say. Good job, Opelka. You know, taking a- another solid win in this tournament. Uh, you know, proving that the big guys really can make it far. And I'm telling you, you may not like his style, but it will grow on you. Like you said, you can fall in love with the backhand and the volleys and just the mulch, the attitude. <laughs> the mulch, just such a ridiculous clothing line, but we'll we'll save that for a, another conversation. But on to my SoCal boy, Stevie Johnson, taking on a <laughs> nice win against Milos Ranić, 2-4. and four. You know, I actually didn't have the, the chance to see this match, but uh, this is a solid win. You know, he's been up and down, and, and I love to see him take out a guy who's been in the top ten pretty recently. You know, Steve Johnson lost his first-round match to Dennis Kudla at the Australian Open. That's a match where he won under 50% of his first serve points. This match, he wins 86% of them. You know, he goes 3 of 8 on break points, but holds Milos to only one opportunity, and Milos fails to get a break in this match. I think this match was more a testament to Milos Raonic just not being near top form. You get him stretched at all, and he just can't do anything. He really did look 
in all honesty, he just looks bad in this. He, match. he just looks a step slow, and yeah. you know he's coming back from injury, so of course we need to give him time to recuperate. But it's clear he is not the threat he was when he made that Wimbledon final in 2016. A hundred percent. You know, hopefully he he recovers. I do enjoy watching him play. He's had some fantastic and exciting matches in Grand Slams, and so uh, let, let's just hope that he recovers well and can get ready for the French. Absolutely. That being said. Great win for Stevie. You know, 100%. you got to take got, care of business against a guy like Gotta give me, him though. credit. You know, give him credit where credit's due. He still took the match, did what he had to do. Three breaks will get the job done against a guy like Milos Ramonich. And so, good performance from him. But okay, let's talk about the two barn burners from round two. I want to start with a match that you liked a lot more than I did, but I watched this match from start to finish, so I have thoughts. Let me tell you. Let we'll start him. with Dennis Shapovalov beating Jared Donaldson, 6-7, 6-4, Okay, lateral agility <laughs> is the theme of this segment of the pod. 100%. I think Shapovalov, being a lefty, has the type of game that will expose these guys' movements. You know, he's the guy who's going to stretch them wide on the backhand. He's going to hit the short angle, one-handed backhand cross court and stretch them on the forehand. He's hitting slice serves out wide, and I think the Shapovalov serve has gotten better and better in 2018. And Donaldson, to his credit, protected serve early on, but he just wasn't fast enough to routinely put pressure on Shapovalov. And Donaldson's just not a guy to play defense. Yeah, agreed. And and I said, I think I said this to you earlier. I don't think Shapovalov should ever lose to a guy like Donaldson. I don't know about ever. They're just gonna think about. Oh, never mind. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. I just think ever's extreme. Ever, sure, ever's extreme. But at the same time, I mean, this like you were saying when when you have someone who doesn't have strong lateral movement skills. You pretty much, with a strong lefty like Shapovalov, you have the advantage. And he took advantage of it, but at the same time, Donaldson stayed in this match till pretty much the very end. So in terms of that argument, I want to give a shout-out to one of my podcast influences, Bill Simmons, because he talks about mm. how stats are great, but there's something about the eye test that you know shouldn't go away. And when you see things, you're better able to recognize as opposed to just reading stats. And you look at this first set, yes, it was 7-6, but these guys were nervous. There were a lot of slapping lot of errors, a lot of errors, missed returns, absolutely. a lot of missed second balls. It was and sloppy. It just wasn't a high-quality match. And maybe it's because they saw reflections of each other because they're both— Damn in- Nike outfit. It's ridiculous. No, exactly, because they're matching clothes, and it's just so stupid. The Australian Open was so long ago. Let's bring in the new kits. Not only that, just seriously, I don't don't understand how they don't just change it up. But in my opinion, this was sloppy tennis. Both of these guys, the second there was a short ball, whether it was a Shapovalov shank backhand or just a Donaldson floated return off of a kicker out wide from Shapovalov, these guys weren't quick enough to get to that second ball and put pressure on each other. And so these were fast points, and it was a quick match. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, you know, what do you think Donaldson did that allowed him to actually stay in this match and, you know, keep it as close as he did? Well, you look at the serve percentage, you know, only 56% on his first serve, which isn't great, but he's winning 70% of those first serve points, which is a good rate. You know, he's over 50% on the second serve points won. Five break opportunities means he's getting into some of Shapovalov's games. And I think they actually traded breaks in the first set. And then, you know, Dennis got his two breaks in the second and third. Uh, He's playing big man tennis, and you know he, he didn't return well enough in this match because, as we've mentioned, Shapovalov got him stretched, and on the return, that's where he's in trouble. He's not a Tiafo or a Mackenzie McDonald. You know, Tiafo slices those back when he gets stretched and buys himself enough time. Mackenzie on the stretch is just a cat, and he cuts off the ball early, and so those are the two ways you can kind of approach that. 
and yeah, Donaldson's still really working on that. But again, it this result, you know, six seven, six four, six four is a testament to him also getting better at protecting that serve and you know, how many times do we have to say serving is half of tennis. And if you can protect that serve, you're going to have opportunities to win matches. Yep. I mean, and the other half is obviously the return. And Shapovalov has done a fantastic job returning in his young career. I think you can put him up there with some of the top returners well, in the game. With a guy with a one-handed backhand, it's incredible. Oh, absolutely. He works he the line. In, yeah, he works the li- uh, 100%. I'm a huge fan of his The return. step in is a thing of beauty. Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about a match I know you were excited to watch. That's Francis Tiafo beating Juan Martin Del Potro 7-6, 4-6, 7-5. The floor is yours. Well, first of all, if you haven't watched this match, go watch it. Great tennis. Classic Tiafo going up against his rival. This is a rematch from the Australian Open. He has clearly now shown that he is able to stand with the big dogs. Um, you got to start with the first set. Tiafo went down a break very early, was down 1-4, had three break points on his serve, came back, fought him off, got a break in, in that later in that set, and was able to take it 7-6. I mean, that right there is what saved him in this match. And pretty much what I think, and you know, there's a little bit of a, a discrepancy here between us, is his backhand carried him in this match. He took his backhand down the line, and that was, at least for me, the difference. Obviously, we will continue to say that his first serve is something that has allowed him to stay in these matches. But what differentiated him in this match was his backhand. Well, look, we know how to play Del Potro. Attack the ad side of the court. Backhand after backhand after backhand after backhand. And so I agree with you. He won this match because of how consistent his backhand was. And I'd even go as far as to say that's his most consistent side. Not his most dangerous side, his most consistent side. I would agree with that for sure. Where we disagree is I don't think it was his backhand down the line. I think it was his backhand cross court. No. I think he kept the pressure on Del Potro. Didn't allow yeah, Del but, Potro but to sit on the inside in forehand. But you also just said that his backhand is the most consistent. And what you're supposed to do in any Del Potro match is take the backhand cross court. And that's what you, that's what most people do. So the fact that he was able to then utilize the down the line to throw him off, that was the difference. See, to me, I don't think he sought out the down the line. I thought it was the inside in forehand. And I think well, he, he can hit that inside in. And, yeah, but that's so that's what I'm saying is I don't think I think his backhand down the line is a little bit too wristy. I think he tries to come over the top of it and I think in the Chung match when he had to create a little bit more of the angle and the- I think in the Chung match he also used the backhand down the line well I think in the Chung match there was more depth on Chung's backhand so you know the Delpo slice hangs a little bit and you're able to create more pace for that yourself I think when he was pressured it was harder for him to come over the ball and get it down the line and the ball would sort of jam him a bit I think when he gets stretched his backhand down the line is really well you know really good we talked about this with Taylor Fritz Tiafo improvising, he's got those sock curios like uh, qualities about him to where he can just improvise so well. Yep, he hits, he hits great drop shots. There's a, a pretty sweet passing backhand on the run where Delpo's coming into the net that he hit during this match. Um, yeah, definitely agree. He's got the intangibles. Tell me why I shouldn't be worried about Francis Tiafo's shot selection. Because it's sockish. Like I mentioned, there's ups and downs to that. I think he's a little I, more I w- responsible. I wouldn't put it, I was going to say, I wouldn't put it quite at sock level. But wouldn't you? No, I I really look his drop shots are good enough that I consider it a a weapon. It's not you know 
something he throws in there sporadically. In, Sometimes he know. goes for too cute of drop angles, though. Oh, yeah. I, I just think that's his, that's you that's his too. thing. That's <laughs> me too. I think I just resonate with it. And, but he's smart. He's smart about it. He sees when the guys are deep, and he puts them in at the right time. Well, he definitely kept Del Potro honest with his slice as opposed to you know going for the backhand down the line every time. And you know when Del Potro would get forehands, Francis did a great job of covering the inside in. And whether you know he slices more forehands cross court than anyone on tour, uh, and he can whip the forehand cross court you know with spin as well. And he did a great job on the run here. You look at total points: Tiafo one eighteen, Delpo one seventeen. This is an either-or match, and it's a match where Francis Tiafo breaks Del Potro up 6-5 in the third to win. He gets a break over a former Grand Slam champion. That is a moment. And I, I couldn't agree more. That was the other thing I was going to say that differentiated him in this match and uh, is starting to become a trend amongst some of these next-gen guys. I think they're getting more confident in their game. They are taking advantage of the big moments. He saved a ton of game points in that last set. He saved a ton of break points in the first set. I mean, look, Delpo's 2 of 16. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a testament to him staying strong, holding his ground, and being confident in his strokes. Francis makes 73% of his first serves in this match. A lot of those came on break points where he follows it up with the serve plus one, whether it's the forehand inside in, the forehand you know, inside out. Just such good tennis from Francis. He played aggressive. He moved forward the right amounts, kept the Del Potro slice honest by moving forward. It was the beginning of a great week. Absolutely. And, you know, when he after he won this match, he puts down his racket, takes out the hand, and just gives a couple Bumps to the chest You're doing right it at his for heart. Me now. Absolutely, you know. I love. I think that's his like new. And maybe it's not even new. This is just his celebration after, but. If you think the confidence after this match didn't carry throughout the tournament, you're just wrong. This uh, catapulted him through the tournament. Absolutely. Like you mentioned, to beat your idol, I mean, if I even played oh, Delpo, I'd be on top of the world. You mean if you played Murray? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That would be everything. Okay, let's talk about some other notable results from the second round before we move on to our quarterfinals. You have John Isner losing his second round match to eventual finalist Peter Gojewitz. He loses that match 7-6, 6-7, 7-6. I mean, we'll get to John Isner in a little bit, but just another disappointing I'm just result. Not, it, it, I'm just not shocked. Mm. It's just annoying. <laughs> yeah, it's upsetting, and you know, He's Donald, my Greensboro man. I, I can't. <sighs> I, I know. Seriously, it's just it's sad. I don't like to see it. And you have Evgeny Donskoy beating Donald Young seven six six three. Anytime you go to a breaker, it must be a close match. And Donald Young had chances, but he just couldn't get it done. But we will end this round with a positive note and use this as our transition into the quarterfinals. In his second round match, Taylor Fritz takes out the experienced Mikhail Yuzny 6-1-4-6-6-3. This set up his quarterfinal matchup with Denis Shapovalov, a next-gen thriller, Canada versus the USA, NAFTA implications on the line. You have Shapovalov taking out Fritz 7-5-6-4. What? did you think let, let me take this a step back i said that against a guy like donaldson he should always win that match i think almost even more so with fritz because i i would say fritz's lateral movement is worse than donaldson this is just where if fritz isn't able to get outside and get that backhand you know deep enough he's just screwed 
when Fritz is stretched, it, it's not pretty. The slice isn't really there. Sometimes he floats it back. You know, he's good at digging out backhands that are low, but I don't think he's good at hitting stretch backhands. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier. I put Escobedo in that category with Donaldson and Fritz. And Shapovalov is a guy who, because he plays lefty angles, gets you stretched in ways you're not comfortable doing, is able to play aggressive tennis against Fritz. And, you know, Fritz did protect his serve. It's one break of serve in each set. And in terms of the break points, Shapovalov converts both of his and goes two of two. That's all he had on the match, while Fritz goes 0 for two. So you can't say Fritz didn't have chances and was out of this match, similar to how you can't say Donaldson, who loses in a you know 6-7-6-4-6-4 thriller, didn't have chances against Shapovalov. And that's why I think it's extreme to say Shapovalov should always win the match. But that being said, I'm not surprised Shapovalov ended up taking this one. Yeah, no, uh, I agree with you there. And if you look at the, the statistics here, Shapovalov won 86% of his first serve. That's nuts. Which is just, I think that's a testament to Fritz's just bad returning he, there. Well, I think Fritz is a great returner, but Shapovalov's out wide on the ad side is working. Yeah, it's difficult, especially yeah, especially on a Fritz backhand that may not be the strongest, even, even weaker on the return. But Fritz was able to win 81% of his first serve points. So clearly he's able to get that one-two punch in and was able to be successful there. There's a slight difference in their second serve points one, Shapovalov winning 56% and Fritz winning 48%. So, you know, at the end of the day, it, it was a match of pretty small margins. But I agree with you. I will say a grievance I have about this again. These guys are wearing matching clothes. It's ridiculous. Yep. Stop it. I want to focus on the tennis, not the fact that they look bad. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm done beating this bush to death, but Fritz needs to get better. Otherwise, guys with ATP quality weapons, which is certainly what Shapovalov has, will take advantage of that and be able to hold serve comfortably as Shapovalov was in this match. Absolutely. And not a super hot take, but I want to say I think the way that Shapovalov is playing with his return, with the results that he's had, I want to say he's going to be top 20 by the end of the year. Top 20 for Shapovalov. Even by the though end he's of the 18 year. years old. Do you yep. think his body will hold up throughout? Absolutely. I don't know if I see. He's who's fit, man. Fine, he's... Who's ranked higher, him or Chung? That's tough. I mean, but They um, have a lot of grand slams slowly... to play. Agreed. And, and I am slowly riding the Chung train. I think his game is just solid. So, so solid. I'm going to take Chung. Who translates better to Clay? Because that's the question, right? Well, then here we have a huge clay court season. Shapovalov's never played a full season of ATP clay court events. He can rack up some points. Agreed. I, I think, you know, the thing that stands out about Chung, and, and we can transition this into the Tiafo match that I saw a lot, was his ability to hold the baseline. I love that about his game. You, you very rarely see him taking three or four steps behind the baseline. He takes the ball on the rise. He puts the ball deep. And I think that is great and dandy for a hard court or a grass court match but when you're on the clay you got to give yourself some room the, the ball is going to sit there it's going to be a little bit slower i think shapovalov has the intangibles that allow him to move around the court and be more successful than Chung. well this is where we need craig o'shaughnessy of the atp stats guide because i want to see how the biomechanics of hyun chung will work on clay he's got such a thick lower half and will he be flexible enough to slide on the clay? Will he be as comfortable moving side to side, which is such an important part of him playing offense? Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I'm all, you know, I'm all eyes on that. And in terms of this match with Francis Tiafo, this quarterfinal affair, this is a match Tiafo wins 5-7-6-4-6-4 and really displays mental toughness that I didn't know he had. Agreed. And to be completely honest, 
I think this match should have gone to Chung. Really? Yeah, I absolutely do. I think Chung had the opportunities, but like you're saying, the mental toughness of Tiafo, he did this exact same thing against Delpo. There were lots of breakpoint opportunities for Chung. Chung was 2 of 12 in this match. That is a lot of opportunities for Chung to take a leap and, and potentially win this match where Tiafo held strong, was able to save those points, and, and ultimately was what led to him winning this match. So I'm happy because here's where I'm going to disagree with you. The moment I knew Tiafo really had a chance of winning this match, he's down 7-5, and it's 1-1 in the second set, 40-15 Chung. And Chung, you know, there's this incident where Tiafo hits a drop shot, and the ball was clearly a double bounce if you watch the replay. And I don't understand how, at this point in our tennis technology career, that we don't just do a replay and say, oh, that was clearly a double bounce. No, I agree with you. It's ridiculous that they're not able to know that right away. I will say, here's where Francis Tiafo made this mental jump to me. He goes down love 40 in that next game. And, you know, sometimes young players, when they have a call that goes against them, they lose it. And this is the opportunity you're down love 40 where this could go away and Chung could pull away. Instead, Tiafo hits three huge first serves. Two of them are aces or cause first ball errors. And, you know, he ends up winning the game and he comes back and he sticks in this set and he wins 6-4, 6-4 the next two sets. That's the type of thing you're not accustomed to seeing from a 20-year-old player. And it shows a maturity I just didn't know he had in him. So, look, that being said, I I do want to talk about his maturity. I think it has a huge impact on the way he's been able to be successful in the last two matches and for this tournament in general. But uh, we'll save that conversation for the finals. Well, I want to talk about the tactics of this match for a second before we move on because I think what Tiafo did to win this match, and we mentioned this earlier, he moved forward. You know, Like you said, Chung was not giving up an inch. So the only way Tiafo could really make Chung uncomfortable was by moving forward, by even saying, okay, you're not really that that stretch, but I'm trying to cut off your time and I'm going to move forward and put pressure on you. And he succeeded. He did a great job. You know, the serve plus one and following that in. He likes to throw in the funky drop shots because Chung is so solid in his stance and get Chung moving. And I thought, you know, a lot of times when they had volley to volley interactions, Tiafa won those. Yeah, and there, there are a few really fun ones. To right, watch exactly. This match. And so that's the difference, right? He's embracing moving forward. 100%. And, and I love his hands. I think he's got great hands in the net. Um, you know, he he pretty much did everything right in this match. Well, we say it for him, for Mackenzie McDonald, the things they do so well, and I think Fritz succeeds because his serve is better than those guys, but where Tiafo and McDonald had the advantage is they move forward. They yep. embrace the net. They do such a great job of Absolutely. capitalizing on playing aggressive tennis, and it's a rare characteristic for young players. And it just adds another dynamic to their game where players have to be worried about that. And, you know... Like we said, we need more of these next-gen guys doing that to be successful. Now, I want to talk about one more thing from this match, I promise. But the thing I thought Francis Tiafo did so well, his return. You know, he holds Chung to 43% on his second serve points. Tiafo wins 61% of his own. The Tiafo inside-in backhand return on the deuce side is special. Okay, his that, ability to take it early. Yep, I agree. Th- that is fine. I do have one qualm with... The slices? Yeah, he... He, he slaps. Sli- well, no, he... No, he like chops. He chops at his forehand return way too much. But he I, likes it. It works. Kind I, of. Does it work, though? He's I, fast. He loves the improvising. How much do I have to say it? But at the same time, can you imagine if he was able to get more comfortable with his forehand return and take advantage? Well, the problem is his forehand's so wristy. It gets overwhelmed. But then in rallies, it doesn't get overwhelmed with pace, but a serve, it's a different it's, type it of spin. It is different. And, maybe, and that is probably why he results to it right? so much. Right. 
I can only imagine what would happen if he was able to be more comfortable with that and use that as a weapon too. I also feel like given how you know his forehand has made progress, but before it was so much worse, he must have the instinct built up of heavy pace of the forehand chop. Yeah. And it's not that it's bad, but I agree with you. Against a guy like Del Potro who can run around it, that's how he was able to hold serve. And in Chung's instance, Chung just didn't have a big enough second ball to put Francis away. And yeah, Francis played that well. Absolutely. And before we get into Tiafo's match with Shapovalov in the semifinals, there were a few other notable results from the quarterfinals. Obviously, Stevie Johnson took out Don Skoy, 6-1, 6-4. That's a nice, solid win for him, you know, keeping the momentum going from his earlier win. And then we've got Peter Gojewicz. Sorry if we're, we're you know... Butchering that name. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, we tend to do that on this uh, on this show. Hey, great show. <laughs> yeah. He took out Riley Opelka, 7-6-6-3, you know. Obviously a good win for him, especially with the last two wins from Opelka. But on to the more important matches, the semifinals. We've got Tiafo versus Shapovalov. A solid win for Tiafo. Seven five six four. Alex, what do you think? Well, if we're ranking Tiafo's performances in his three biggest matches, that's against Delpo, against Chung, and against Shapovalov. I think this was his most dominant performance. I think he moved I agree, so absolutely. well in this match. And he t- uh, we talked about his backhand earlier. Shapovalov was not able to take advantage of stretching Tiafo out wide because he would hit such a good ball back cross court that Shapovalov would lose space. He'd run out of time. Absolutely. I will say, I think there is something to say about the fact that Shapovalov just played Donaldson and Fritz, two players who don't have the best lateral movement, to then have to play another next-gen American who does have that lateral movement might have thrown him off a little bit. And I thought the Tiafo forehand did a great job of overwhelming the Shapovalov one-hander with spin. I thought Tiafo's serve plus one was in you know full effect in this match. Oh, I mean, going 72% of his first serves in and winning 84% of them? Elite. Absolutely, and that's what's... I mean, that was the difference in this match. And he wins 60% of his second serve points as well. Shapovalov only has one break opportunity in the match. And, you know, the things Dennis didn't do too well only makes 56% of his first serves. And though he won 54% of his second serve points, you know, three breaks was enough in this match to get the job done. Hey, you know what, though? At least Nike got this one right. <laughs> <laughs> they gave Tiafa the gray. Yeah, finally. I mean, yeah. And he was matching with Del Potro. And I have to say, we have given Nike a lot of <laughs> in this podcast, but the gray, black, gray, black combo looked fine. It did. I, I liked I, it. I like that look. With the Porsche in the background. <laughs> oh, it's a good look. That's sexy. Exactly. But yeah, you know, again, difference between Tiafo, Donaldson, Fritz. Tiafo moves well enough. He keeps Shapovalov honest. I didn't think he did that good of a job hitting the backhand down the line, but I thought the inside-in forehand, the cross-court forehand, really worked well. Yeah, absolutely agree. Can I ask, who do you think does a better job of moving forward and capitalizing at the net? Shapovalov or Tiafo? Because it's different I, styles of aggression. It is, but honestly, I'm going to give it to Shapovalov. I, really? That, yeah, that's something I've loved about his game. I think the one thing he does really well is takes his lefty forehand down the line and follows it in. I've seen him do it plenty of times and i also like the way that he's confident at the net i serves and volleys too absolutely i I think he is probably of the young of these young guys the best at it the commentator was saying in the donaldson match when shapovalov was trying to change it up in those second and third sets he'd started doing a better job of hitting the sneaker out wide and following that in and yeah he cuts off the first volley really well i think he's more fundamentally sound than tiafo 
Tiafo's so great at improvising, and a lot of that is him sneaking forward to the net and trying, you know, touch shots and things, dinkum shots, we call them. And it works. He looks good. He does. Okay, let's talk about the other semifinal. Peter Gojewicz takes out Stevie Johnson, 7-6-6-3. Such a bummer. I would have loved to see a Stevie Tiafo final. Seriously, I was praying for that. I literally texted you. I was like, I really want Stevie to win this so we can see a Stevie Tiafo final and. He let me down. Unfortunately, Gojewicz sort of sustained an injury in that match, and so that's I why I don't want to talk about the final for too long, but let's just do a little recap of Francis Tiafo's performance. Like we mentioned, he takes out Juan Martin Del Potro. He takes out Hyun Chung. He takes out Shapovalov, beats an informed Gojewicz 6-1, 6-4 in the final, wins 89% of his first serve points in this match, and outscores Gojewicz 58-39 in terms of total points. One cool stat I found, there is a streak in this tournament where Tiafo saved 24 of 28 break points. He served so well all week long, and it gets me to ask you the question out of Delray Beach, and this is something Alex, and shameless plug, but Alex Leopold and I debated this in an article for Cracked Rackets. Has Francis Tiafo made a leap? Okay. I'm so glad you paused. <laughs> I just, I like where your thoughts are going. I think we agree. So... I, I do think that mentally, absolutely has made a leap. As we've said throughout this tournament, he showed that he was able to save break points, make big shots on big opportunities. Big serves. Big serves. The thing that I am weary of is, is he going to be able to continue this service dominance throughout the next couple months? And on clay. And on clay. If he can... Absolutely. He's going to make a leap. He was going to hurt a lot of these top guys. I think he will make strides over the next couple months, but it's it's really just a matter of, is this a one-time service tournament? Excuse me. Is this a one-time opportunity that we saw that he took in serving outstanding in this tournament, or is he going to carry that throughout the next couple months? Well, I'm not sure. I agree with you. I think the fact that we saw him serve well in New York bodes well for his future the first year seems real it seems like he's making that at a higher percentage and seeking to be aggressive you know i always wonder about him with his funky form on the forehand when he's overwhelmed with pace and doesn't have time you know will that side start shanking will he have to start counting on the slice forehand a bit too much but yeah, the the net skills seem to be real. The returning seems to be real. He seems to be putting a lot of balls in play, which is something we didn't always see from him. You know, consistency is more of a mindset than a skill set. It's more about putting yourself in a position to be at the ball and, you know, hit a quality shot with depth, with pace that keeps your opponent off balance. And yeah, his mindset seems real. He is playing really good tennis. I couldn't agree more. And I'm just excited to see what he's got for the next couple of months. I agree. Tiafo is going to be a fun guy to watch, and we'll see how he does. You know, in these Masters events, he should get in now on his ranking, if not with a wild card. You know, he's solidly in the top seventy-five. So we'll see him compete a lot on the ATP tour moving forward. Before we transition to our part four of this, our recap of the rankings and what everything's looking like after February, we have to do one more fun gimmick. Fligner, cue the trivia sound effect. Let's play Alex's trivia. You know, Maxie, I teased these questions to you, and I said we have a fun week of events, and boy do we, because I have some really fun charts available to us that I found on Twitter, and they're all Francis Tiafo related. He just you know, had so many unique accomplishments this week that I wanted to talk about these with you and kind of talk about some guys who've had similar accomplishments in the past so you know, we can make comparisons moving forward. 
Okay. The first trivia question I have for you. Five American players born after 1995 have made an ATP semifinal, not a quarterfinal. Can you name those five players? All right, so Tiafo is one of those five, right? Mm-hmm. So we got Tiafo, we've got Fritz. That's correct. We've got Donaldson. We do. Did Eubanks lose in the quarters of Atlanta? He did. Okay. You, got, you got two more. Okay. Um... Oh, Escobedo's made a semi. Escobedo is number four and one more. Um, you struggled with him last time, too. Opelka. Opelka is yeah. number five. Good for you. You killed that. I'm just yeah. warning you, it's going to get harder and harder. Okay. Okay, question number two. Francis Tiafo is the first male born in 1998 to win an ATP title. Part one of this trivia question. He's also the youngest American to win an ATP title since... Oh, I only know this because they brought this up in an interview with him, but it's since Andy Roddick. That's true. And part two of this question, and here is where it gets hard. Can you name the first people born in 1995, 1996, and 1997 to win ATP titles? The look on your face says you born, don't think you can. Born in 95, 96, 97 to, to win, win titles. And someone has in each year. And then I'm going to name some fun ones after. All right, is Stevie one of them? Stevie was born before 1995. Oh, he is like 26. I was born in 1995. Right. No, 95, 96. They're all still next gen. Yeah, exactly. Well, they're wow. little. The 95s are a little old. A little older. Um, One of them is very obvious. Who's the stud? The king of the next gen crew. Donaldson? Is that who you consider the king? They don't have to. No, they're not American. Oh, oh. Oh, sorry. sorry. Non American. I, I was still. I was like, we don't have Americans. I was going to say, sorry, non Americans. Okay, so. It's I mean, just anyone. I mean, People I, born in this year. I guess Chung? Not Hyun Chung. He's not on this list. Um, Shabavlov? Not Shapovalov. Shapovalov has not won a title yet on the ATP tour. Oh, Zverev. Zverev, yeah, 1997. Yeah. Okay. He won St. Petersburg in 2016. 96, my hint to you, he's Russian. Rublev? Rublev, I think, was born after 96. It's not him. Um, Hatchinov? It is Hatchinov. Okay. Chengdu, end of 2016. All right, all right. And the 1995s. A kid, I mean, not a kid, he's a man. You're going to be surprised this guy was born in 1995. He's a troublemaker. Curious. Curious won huh. Marseille in 2016 as well. A couple other fun ones. 1994, Luca Pui. He won oh, it nice. in 2016. He's been on a roll recently. Tomic was the first in 1992. Oh, God, How far he's, he's gone he's now. <laughs> Grigor, Rayonich, Nishikori, Del Potro, Murray, Nadal, Burdich, Soderling, Verdasco. That's the list from 91 to 83. All oh, those guys are really freaking good. So I will say it seems like winning the first title of your age group is a sign that you should be a strong player to come. So I think this is a really encouraging development for Tiafo, and we should not take it lightly. Absolutely. I'm, I'm super excited to see what he can do, and uh, I don't think there's much more to say about him. Okay, this is my toughest trivia question for you, and I'm warning you, you're not going to get these names, so we'll cut you off pretty early. This month, Adrian Andreev became the first player born in 2001 to play an ATP match. Mm-hmm. Can you name the first people from 95, 96, 97, and 98 to play in an ATP match? Again, these are non-Americans, Kozlov. too. Kozlov was the first of the 98s. Okay. I'm very happy you know that. Um, That's my boy. Yeah, I know. Um, the first is Donaldson the first not a 96 no more americans that's my hint you you might okay. guess 95 and 97 who's the stud that was Vera, and yeah. who's the troublemaker curious they were 95 97 96 christian garen oh, some other names 1992 name ryan harrison there you go 1989 
Donald Young, hey. 91, Grigor Dimitrov, 88, Chilich, 86, Gasquet. But, you know, this list, not nearly as indicative of success as the ATP title. I still just thought it was a cool stat. Yeah, absolutely. That's fun. And that's really all I got for Alex's trivia. And, you know, and that really puts the book on this Delray Beach event. Absolutely. I think we, we covered it. It was an unbelievable tournament. Uh, super fun tennis, lots of next-gen results, and uh, I'm excited to see what, what these guys can do for this this coming season. Absolutely, and you know, we know this podcast has taken forever. As we mentioned, February was a jam-packed month on the ATP Tour. We do want to go over the rankings and what they look like, but before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. Welcome back to... Hey, great shot. Yeah, I know. It's been a long February, man. Yeah. We should have... It was in, It was the interviews. It all got jam-packed and yeah, we just have stuff we got to cover. But okay, you know, we will be doing a changeover chat about some of the fun, you know, non-tennis result-oriented storylines. But before we do that, we're actually going to make this a two-changeover chat episode because we want to talk about the rankings and where they stand. So Fligner, if you could, cue the drum roll, please. It's time for this week's changeover chat. The changeover chat. He's so god tired. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go through the rankings. And you know, for these top ten Americans, we have to give a shout out to our boy Parson Amandi, part of the Cracked Rackets team, who every week comes out with the top ten ranked Americans, as well as any Americans who achieved career highs on both the WTA and ATP tours. Here, we're just going to focus on the top ten Americans on the ATP. Number one, Jack Sock, number 10. Number two, Sam Query at number 11. Isner, 19. Johnson, 47. Sandgren, 58. Donaldson, 59. Harrison, 60. Tiafo 61. Kind of cool that Americans are 58 to 61. <laughs> Fritz, 77. And Donald Young, number 89. So the first thing I have to say, Max, all top 10 Americans, in the, all in the top 100. Unbelievable. When was the last time that happened? I wish we knew. I can't, I can't even remember. Yeah, it's just... It's it's a testament to these young guys and their development. Seriously, there's a reason that the next gen Americans is a theme that's going on. We're about to see some of these guys breaking into the top fifty, top twenty in the next couple of years, and I'm excited. Absolutely. And in terms of next gen, I define that as players younger than me. I was born October sixth, nineteen ninety five. Yep. Guys, please don't steal my social security stuff. <laughs> but in terms of, you know, the top ten Americans who are that young, Donaldson number one, Tiafo two, Fritz three, you have Escobedo number one twenty three. You know, Matthew was actually born in April ninety five, but he interviewed with us, so I'm gonna count him. Number one forty, Tommy Paul one fifty one. Kozlov 160, Mo 176, Opelka 197, Rubin 231. Nine of these 10 guys have cracked the top 200. That's And that's cool. only the young players. I know. It's, there is a generation of Americans ready to break through. And like you mentioned, February was a great month for all of these guys. 100%. And, and I think that some of the guys who are on the lower end, the Mo, Opelka, Rubin, Kozlov, they're, I think they're just on that brink of having a couple wins that shoots them into the top 100. So we could be seeing even more of these young Americans than top 100. We've seen McDonald make a challenger final. We've seen Fritz win two. We've seen Ruben, who's at the bottom of this list, win one earlier this year. All of these next-gen guys are in great form. And, you know, I have two questions I want to ask you before we move on to just the under-23s in general throughout the world. But in terms of these American players, do you think... Jack Sox, Sam Query, John Isner will be the top three at the end of the year. No. You don't? No. Who falls out? 
Isner. Isner? Yeah, I, I think he's going to have a hard time defending his points. And who's going to replace him? Johnson's, you know, 19 to 47. That's a big jump. That is. And Maybe I, Fritz, I, who doesn't have a clay court season? Yeah, I don't know. I was going to say, I don't see Johnson making much of a leap. Maybe he does stay for that reason. I, just the gap is He's so definitely going to fall. He's and definitely like going to fall. Well, Query has so many slam points to defend. Wow, that's true. And the thing about Sock is he doesn't. Right. <laughs> so Sock will probably maintain that number one spot. I think Query and Isner could, could really fall. No, I agree with you. I just think, yeah, the points, it's hard to make up. But, yeah, there is a class coming. Fine. Other question off of that, Steve Johnson and Tennis Angren right now 4-5. and five. You know, Harrison Young, that group of players, all 24 to 28 years old. Will they be surpassed by these next-gen guys, or will they end up right in the mix with them? I, I think it'll all kind of be in that mix. 75 they, to 35 range? Yeah. I mean, those guys, except for Sangren, you know, uh, Harrison and Stevie have been kind of in that range for a while now, and they'll probably stay there, but I think we'll start seeing some of the younger guys moving in with them. So my last question about the Americans, name your three most impressive performers of those young guys from the, for the month of February. Obviously got to give it to Tiafo. Um, I'm going to go Tiafo, Fritz, and Escobedo. I was a little disappointed in Donaldson for the most part. You know what? Actually, scratch that. I'm going to go Tiafo, Fritz, and, and Mackey. I love what Mackey's been doing. I think he's showing promise. I'm just waiting for him to make a little breakthrough in one of these tournaments. I agree with you. I was hoping I was going to get to steal McDonald from you. Him, Tiafo, Fritz, whether it's success on the challenger level, success on the ATP tour, these guys are ready. And like you said, honorable mention to Escobedo because he performed really well in New York and we've seen him in ATP draws throughout February. So it's good to see moving forward. Okay, the last thing we're going to do, I want to list the top 10 players under 23 because all of these guys are in the top 60 of the world. You obviously have Zverev and Kyrgios up top, Zverev number five, Kyrgios number eight. 18, Chung at 26, Rublev 31, Hatchnov 41, Shapovalov 44, Donaldson 48, Chorich 49, Medvedev 57. These are the live rankings, as you know, because Donaldson, I think we said he was uh, 59 earlier, but that's as of today. Um, my first thought when I see this is, what has happened to Borna Chorich? I was so high on him, and now he seems like an afterthought. Seriously, I mean, <laughs> you just got a bunch of other young guys who are just killing it. We did two hours of podcast and didn't mention his name once. Not once. And, and that's upsetting. I mean, that's also a testament to the fact that he hasn't made it very far in any of these tournaments. No, he hasn't really been playing. Yeah, he hasn't been playing, so... Yeah. I just, I don't know. When you look at these under-23 guys moving forward, it, it looks like Zverev. You know, he's got a lot of points to defend in clay season, but there are a lot of openings for him to make big runs if these top guys are out with injuries. 100%. And I think this is also exciting because we're we're starting to see the, the end of a Federer, Nadal, some of these top guys who are old. We're starting to see the end of their careers. And here is our next potential top five players okay of these guys in these under 23 list in the top 10 who makes the deepest run in a grand slam in 2018 gotta, chung already has a semifinal. yeah no I, I think i'm gonna give it to the top three right now is vera of curious and chung you think it's one of them it's yeah. not gonna be shapovalov rublev or hatchnoff hatchnoff won a you title this month i will say i think shapovalov really could make a deep run i think he might surprise some people i think hatchnoff is physically ready to do it and i think he's the guy outside of the big chung uh curious virev trio that could do it don't sleep on chorich don't sleep on tsitsipas who's an honorable mention for this list 
I don't know if anyone gets better than Chung's semifinal. I think that's nah, going to be really – maybe Kyrgios at Wimbledon. Zverev maybe? Uh, Zverev still hasn't made a second week. I know. I don't know. The, the point is a lot of young talent, and February was on display. Great month on the ATP Tour. Obviously, we were able to talk about it for two-plus hours, and we want to thank all of you people who tuned into parts one, two, three, four, the changeover chats, all of it. Uh, you know, we we may we follow these events so that we have a chance to share what we enjoyed with you guys and any feedback you have, whether it's you know through Twitter, whether it's on the crack chats, we'd love to hear it. So please reach out to us. And if you're as tired as we are, I'm sure you'll be in bed. Not tired, and and so enthused at the progress. Sure. Over enthused. We'll call it that. (laughs) But if you're laying in bed and you're relaxing, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Not only our podcast, but the Cracked Interviews podcast as well. Some really great interviews that have happened and are coming up. Uh, Getting some more pro players on these interviews. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Absolutely. I don't know if you can say the word interview any more times than that. It shows we're probably ready to leave. You yep. look like you are happy February is done. I need some food. You need- <laughs> <laughs> That's really what I need in my life. Oh, no kidding. But Max Rothman, thank you for taking your Saturday to record with me. As always, it's a pleasure to talk about these matches with you. It's my pleasure as well. Thank you in advance to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel West of Fliegner, who's busy going on spring break with his Dartmouth team. We gave you a, f- a job to do, and so we apologize if this takes up your spare time. And Westoff, you're the man. Keep doing you. But one last time, for myself, Alex Gruskin, for my wonderful co-host, Max Rothman, for the producers, Fliegner and Westoff, we say to you, Hey, great shot. And we'll see you guys in March. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>